One of my uh, top five favorite features of the iPhone is, uh, y'all have your top five list ready uh, to share? Is I really like uh, the read receipt function. I really like that when I text some of you, I know when you read uh, the text. I think that's a great idea. I mean, I don't personally do it, but I think all of you should. Um, and, I, and I love that when I send you a text, uh, you know, especially if you're asking a question, like you need to know something, you know they've read it or not. And then you can point back and be like, look, I mean, I know you saw it, right? And then around the same time, they also released that uh, thing where, you know, the, the three little bubbles pop up if somebody's texting currently. Uh, side note real quick, I know there's a bunch of Android users in here, and you're either like, lame, or we had that so long ago. And look, I know you always view yourself as second-class uh, iPhone user, or cell phone users. Like, they will sell you an iPhone today. Just, it's time to, it's time to leave um, the sin in the past and... Anyways, so I really love those moments, though, when you text somebody, and you know they read it, and they start texting, but, but you've had that moment before, right, that then the text never comes, and you're like looking for it, you're like, I know they read it, I know they started typing, what is going on here, and then sometimes, uh, you know, a, a minute passes, or five, and at some point, at like 10 minutes, you go like, do I text again, like, I don't want to come on too strong, but... I know they read it. I know they saw it. And, you know, we, when, you, when you're looking for some information, you're looking to, to talk to someone, you just, you know, you want them to respond, right? And, and that's going to be a, a little bit about what we talk about today, about how we talk to one another when we're in relationship with each other. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 2. Uh, my name is Cale Courtright. If this is your first time with us today, we're so glad that you're here to worship with us, whether here or online. Thank you for being part of this worship service. And I love just being part of the sitting in the crowd as we open up our, uh, as we pour out our hearts to God. Uh, we never want to forget that, that God is, is truly the audience, that we come here to glorify Him. And yes, we get encouragement from it and those kinds of things. But I hope that your heart... Um, that you were pouring your heart out to him today and that your heart is open for messages that he may be sending to you today, whether through, um, through the sermon time or our singing together, where, whatever the case may be, just open up your heart to him. Um, as was mentioned last week, we started a series on Galatians. And this is a book that was written a long time ago, but it is very pertinent for our day today. And a couple of things I want to remind you of as we go into chapter 2 today is a couple of things. Um, Paul wrote this letter. Again, he wrote it a long time ago. It's one of maybe the first things he wrote. But, but Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, that meant he was one of Israel's teachers. He, he knew what we call the Old Testament better than you and I would ever hope to. He understood how God had called uh, the Jews to be his chosen people. He understood how they were to operate, how they were to live um, in accordance with God, the, the rules to follow, the laws to follow. And then in a fun twist, God sends Paul to the Gentiles, to people who don't know anything about Israel's God. And he is, is sent to, to figure out how to mesh those two together. And, and one of the things that we talked about last week is what kind of city, what kind of town, uh, the towns of Galatia, Galatia were. 
And they were probably just like any normal pagan Roman Empire city. They were full of the gods. And in that, they, that was who you worshipped. And so Paul is writing to a, to a church that has both Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian, someone whose background is full of Torah, of the Jewish law, what we call you know, Genesis um, through Deuteronomy. That's who, that was their life. That, that was their story. But you also have people who don't know anything about that. And how do we bring them into relationship together? That's what the book of Galatians is about. And I would argue that's what Paul's life was about. Because he takes his mission seriously. And so today I want to start with this, this little brief detail he gives us in verse 9 of Galatians 2. He writes, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do all along. I love what Paul does here because if you remember last week and if you read chapter 1, there's a couple of things he wants to do. He wants to make sure that the church in Galatia understands that he is an apostle with the same standing as any other apostle. And so here you read that these pillars of the faith, Peter, James, and John, they extend the right hand of fellowships, what he says. They, they affirm that you are an apostle, just as we are apostles. And then the second thing that they affirm is his mission, which again, he said last week, you know, this was revealed to me from Jesus. God himself, through Jesus, sent him to the Gentiles. And here you see the pillars of the faith agree. They say, yes, you are Paul, you are an apostle, and you are sent to the Gentiles. And it's this, it's this really nice moment together that they, that they have this kind of like kumbaya moment, right? Uh, they, are, they are one in this idea, in their missions. They, they have different missions, but they are one as a family together. And I love how he calls them these pillars again. But you can, if you kind of, if we put um, some music to the background of this, it might change the way we think about this text, right? I've been describing it as it's all, you know, hunky-dory, everything's great. But what if you put kind of a more ominous sound to it? You kind of see Paul is, yes, he's saying these things. He's establishing um, some ground rules. He's trying to kind of set the stage. But, but you know something's coming, right? Something is, is coming. And, and the next part of our passage is going to be the twist. But what you are going to see here is that Paul is trying to, uh, trying to lay the stage for that this church that we call it is not just some variant of Judaism, it's not just another version of that, but that what, what has been made, what Jesus Christ did is he created a whole new thing. That's not just for Jews, not, for, not just for Gentiles, but he created a whole new thing. Now, if you're reading in your Bible, whether it's digital or is a paper copy, you might see that coming up is an all-new heading, and it says, Paul opposes Peter. And you're like, wait a minute, we had such a good moment. Like, we're in this together. They were together, and... Now you're telling me that he's going to oppose Peter? I mean, like, this was High School Musical. We were all in this together, right? Like, everything was great. What you, what, one thing I love about Paul, though, is that Paul isn't like I would be here. And Paul is there for the truth. What's the message of the gospel? I would probably 
if I'm in front of Peter, James, and John, I'd be like, man, aren't you the guys that, you know, Jesus took off by himself, you know, in the garden? Um, Weren't you the guys that were on the, the Mount of Transfiguration? Like, obviously, Jesus poured more into this relationship than he did the other nine. Your guys are in the inner circle. So if they said something, I went, I'm not so sure that's right. I'd probably be like, you know, you were there. I wasn't. So let's, whatever you think, right? Whatever you think, Peter, I, I think you're probably right. Paul doesn't do that. He, he cares about authority. He, is, in fact, will establish his own authority, but he's there for the truth. He's not there for an autograph. He's not there because these guys are the pillars. He's there for the truth. And so look at how the, the text reads, starting in verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, I don't know what you picture when you hear that word condemned, but Paul is using about as strong of language as he can come up with. This is not like maybe you did something wrong. No, this is we know you did what was wrong. We put you on trial. You were convicted. You are condemned. The thing that you did was wrong, and we all know it. And here's how it continues. For before certain men came from James, this is Peter again, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you're going to force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Man, Paul just, he just lays it out there for him, right? He just is telling them the truth. The unity that we just had, that, that wonderful moment we had as pillars of the faith, we're all here together, is now shattered. It's broken. And you might want to ask yourself for a second, why is Paul giving us this detail? If you're one of those, if you're a member of that church there in Galatia, if you're sitting around maybe a table and maybe it's, it's 12 or so people in this room, you're reading this letter, you might go like, why is Paul giving us this detail? Why is he telling us about what Peter did? Well, I think there might be a couple of reasons. One, he's trying to establish what they're talking about. He's trying to, again, set the stage about whether or not we're going to be one church with one table or if we're going to have two tables, two churches. You might wonder, are Paul, are you just trying to tattletale? Are you kind of trying to just say, like, I'm better than Peter? He's, he's not trying to do that. What he's trying to do is to say, look, this thing that we're going about, it's not going to be easy. And even Peter struggles with it. But when we say, when we write to the church in Galatia that this is one body, this is one church in Jesus Christ, we mean it. And no matter who you are, you don't get to break that. One thing that's interesting, if you're following Leighton or Matt's advice from the last couple weeks, if you're reading the book of Galatians, if you've sat down and tried to read um, all of it in one setting, what you'll realize is that we do not have the end of this moment. That Paul and Peter get into this argument and we don't know how it shakes out. We don't know what happens here. But most scholars uh, agree that probably it doesn't go in Paul's favor. It doesn't work out for him. Because if, if it went the way he wants it to, if, if Peter uh, repents and he apologizes, maybe you get that in the letter, right? And then Peter, you know, next line could be, and then Peter, realizing he was wrong, apologized and repented. We don't get that. So probably they told Paul, you know, take a hike. But this is a, this is a dangerous moment here at the beginning of 
the, begin, the beginning of the life of the church. And Paul knows that the, the path that we go down matters. Are we going to go down a two-table path or a one-table path? Is it, is it for everybody or are some people better than others? When I was in eighth grade, I was part of a food fight at school. And by part of, I mean, I didn't start it. I'm not sure I threw food, but I just, I got involved, if you know what I mean. Food ended up on me, though I'm not sure I, you know, gave it to anybody else. So, you know, one of the most difficult parts of middle school is that when you walk in, you, you went to elementary school for years together, but now it's, it's a whole new school. Multiple elementary schools come together and you walk into the lunchroom and you go, where am I going to sit? Who, who am I going to sit with? You know, even if you walk up and even if you find an empty chair, it doesn't mean that you necessarily want to sit with those people, and maybe they don't want you to sit with them either. And so you, you walk up and you hope to find your place, you hope to find your people, so to speak. And I remember by eighth grade, I did, I did find that uh, group of people, the group of guys that I sat with every single day. And, you know, they didn't shield me from the food fight. Um, I was part of that, and, like, I didn't want to be part of that, but... But I do know that they gave me a place to sit, right? And that's a, that, this is a human moment that we read about here in Galatians 2. About everybody wants a place to sit, a place to belong. But imagine if you're one of these Gentile Christians and you've walked away from the gods that you worshipped growing up. You walked away from, from your parents and the community that you grew up in. And you say, I'm going to follow this God, that, this Jesus of Nazareth. I'm going to place my faith in him. And, and you might even meet one of the pillars of the faith. You might even meet Peter, who you read about, you hear about that he was with Jesus. And all of a sudden, Peter won't eat with you anymore. How does it feel? How does it feel to have given up everything, only to now get to, get to lunch and being told, no, you, you sit over there. So this table, this table's for us. It's not for you. See, Peter's actions have this natural consequence, which is that there is an in table and an out table. There are those who who count and those who don't count. And for the Jewish Christian, it would really remind them of the temple in Jerusalem. See, even in the Old Testament, people who were not born Jewish would maybe want to come to worship the God that's found in Jerusalem. The God we read about in the Old Testament. So they would go through all of this ceremony, including for men being circumcised, so that way they could worship the God in Jerusalem. And when they would go to the temple to make sacrifices, they would not be allowed in the inner section of the temple. They were, they were only allowed to get to the outer section, and it was called the Court of Gentiles. It was very clear who was in and who was out, who your parents were. Peter is essentially doing the same thing. He's extending that same thought into the church. You're either in or you're out. And everything that we know about Jesus, this is counter to the gospel that Jesus brings. Jesus brings a gospel that is for all people. The question that's staring the Gentiles in the face, the church in Galatia in the face, is how are we going to define the people of God? Are we going to define them ethnically or messianically? Are we going to define these people by who their parents were or by who Jesus is? And see, you could fill that blank in with anything because we sometimes do the same things, don't we, church? 
Is it about who your parents were or the language that you speak at home or the job that you have or the house that you live in? Or is it defined by who Jesus says you are? Is it defined by the fact that when Jesus said, you are worthy of me going to the cross? So what Peter does here in Antioch, the thing that Paul is calling him out for is he's saying, he's essentially telling them, in some sense, you are still a sinner in need of saving. And Paul is going to reject that every time. See, this has implications for our own salvation, but what Paul is speaking to is a church issue. Who gets to be part of the church? Who gets to be in? He'll continue in verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. What Paul's writing here is he's he's asking, how are we going to create this community? Who, Who is going to be counted as in? Because you need to be righteous to be in. Who is righteous? Who is justified? Who is following God's law? And he says here, it's it's those who place their faith in Jesus. Faith alone is what determines that. This is a, a gift from God. If we add Torah, if we add law back to it, then what are we doing? What are we doing? See, of all people, again, Saul of Tarsus, Paul as we know him, he would have understood this. And he would have known that it's very difficult to follow the law, that it's nearly impossible to live into the standard of the law. But what what Saul of Tarsus would have thought was, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to work it all out. When God sends his Savior, they'll work everything out, and that will take care of it. But what he would have never imagined is that the Messiah would come and would be put to death. That this one, that Jesus, that he would leave the right hand of God but that he would suffer a fate of death, but that God himself would raise him back to life. See, for Paul and for us, that turns everything upside down. Everything we thought, everything we knew, it is changed. It is different because it's all about faith in that Savior, that if he would count it worthy, us worthy of the cross, well, then everybody gets to be part of this. Everyone has a place here. So when we read about this faith, we see that it is faith that creates this community that we have called the church. It's faith that sustains this community. This is Paul's theology of how the church is formed in Christ. And again, the question goes back to, will this be about one table or will there be two? See, and Jesus makes all the difference. Because for those of us that were outside, Jesus brings us inside. No one could be here if not for Jesus. The Gentile status has changed, but so too has the Jewish status. Because they could never live up to the Torah. They could never live up to the law. And now they don't have to. Anyone who's in is someone who is a Messiah person. If you're a Jesus person, you're in. And Paul sums it up this way in verse 19. For through the law I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. It's beautiful, isn't it? It makes you want to sing, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. And some would say that this isn't just what this letter is about. This is what Paul's life became about. He has but one message. His message is is that I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's Christ that lives through me. Church, this is our story. This is who we are in Christ Jesus. This is about the grace of God. Because if it could have been gained from the law, then it would have been. But Christ died so we didn't have to attempt to live that life. See, the cross and the resurrection redefined everything about our world and about our life. It changed everything for us, church. And again, this isn't necessarily just about how people are saved or how we have a place with God, though it is about that. This is about who is part of this community. Because there's Paul sitting there as a Jew, a Jew of Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he says, that's not what it is. I I don't earn my way into this family. I've been crucified with Christ. Christ defines who's here. There are not two tables. There are but one table. And as we read this passage today, I think there are, there are four truths that come out for us today. And the first is this, that God sets everything right. See, church, it wasn't about what you did or what I did or what we could do or couldn't do. It's not about any work, but it's about the grace of God. That before you asked, God came and acted on your behalf. That God made a plan from the beginning of time to redeem his people back to him. God put it to work. And this has some natural implications for us, some consequences. And the first is this, that you have nothing to fear or to be worried about anymore. In fact, this is all over Scripture. Do not fear. Jesus says, do not worry. You don't have anything to worry about because God made everything right for you. God acted for you. So you don't have anything to fear. You can live in light of this truth that God has already made a way for you. And we also don't have to be like those Pharisees that we read about in the Gospels. We don't have to be like Paul was. We don't have to worry about church purity, of what it is that you do or don't do. How do we become part of this? Are we doing the right things? You don't have to worry about circumcision or keeping this part of the law or that day or any of those things. He says, you have faith in Jesus, you have place here. That's the the one defining characteristic of the community of God is, do you place your faith in Jesus Christ? So the first truth is that God said everything right. And how did he do that? It's all about Jesus. Paul is all about Jesus, and so too should we. See, it's not about any kind of work we could do, but it's about what God did through Jesus. And what I love about Jesus is one of those moments we already spoke about. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is having these human moments, he's saying, God, let this cup pass from me. But even in that moment, you see the faithfulness of Jesus. You see the obedience of Jesus. And church, we're we're told to follow in that. I don't know how you would have felt in that moment, but Jesus, what we see out of Jesus is a complete trust of the Father. He said, God, I'm going to submit my spirit to you, knowing that you will take care of me. God set everything right because of what he did in Jesus. And so because of that church, we are transformed people. Our old identity is gone. The new is here. And I don't know about the the story that you tell yourself, but often the stories we tell ourselves become the truth about us. 
And so many times we think of ourselves as, as Genesis 3 people, as people who have, like Adam and Eve, succumbed to temptation and, and eaten of the, the fruit in the middle of the garden, the one that God said to stay away from. And we can kind of think in terms of that we are sinners, that we are, and that's true, but that we are people who are dirty and who did, did something wrong. And God says, now I'm reclaiming you as a new creation. I'm reclaiming you through my, the blood of my son, Jesus, and you are completely new. That I, I loved you enough to create you in my image. And when you, have, when you came to faith in Jesus, he gave you his spirit. He said, I will dwell in you. This is who you are, church. We have been transformed. We are a new creation. But number four, it has an implication. And because of that, we are called to live differently. And it comes with concrete choices in our life. It, it may come at a cost. We may have to sacrifice. I mean, just as much as who do you eat with? or Who do you not eat with? See, we can easily fall into the same temptation that Peter did. These people are in or out. Or how difficult it is to live, to eat with them, and, and all the ramifications that may come with that. But church... If we mean what we say, it, has, it changes who we are. See, if you're anything like me, we can get very concerned about whether or not we believe correctly, whether or not we, we have doctrine right or false doctrine. And I think this story sums up, and one of the things it tells us is you can also live wrong, right? That Peter, I'm certain, could get up and he could have preached a message just as, just as good as he did in Acts chapter 2. And maybe even that day he did. But when he went to lunch that day, he betrayed the gospel. And church, we could do the same thing. That this reality that we live into now, this truth that we live into, that God has acted on our behalf through Jesus. So we have been transformed, but it has to change how we live our lives. It's one thing to say something, to proclaim something, but if we go out and, don't, and won't eat with another, then has it really changed our life? That's who we're called to be. That the world is really good about setting up these walls and these divisions. And anytime that we are part of that, we're falling into the same fallacy, the same lie that Peter fell into. We were, we're here to, to tear down walls, to break down barriers, not to bring them up. It reminded me of this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And when he said, it's one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour. So you can believe right, but if it's creating a world of division and separation and segregation, then we're missing the point. So church, we cannot reflect the exclusivity of the world around us. We cannot reflect the division and the separation, but God has called us to be one family with one table, that everybody is equal under the banner of Christ. Because we proclaim the truth that we have been crucified with Christ. No longer are we living, but Christ lives through us. I think one of the, the stories that best represents this truth uh, came from out of 1994 in Rwanda uh, when there was an attempted genocide by the Hutu tribe to the Tutsi tribe. And I don't know if you've seen the movie Hotel Rwanda that talks a lot about it, but I did not know this story until recently. That in 1994, 10 miles or so outside of the capital city of Rwanda, 13, a little over 13,000 Christians gathered and sought refuge. 
And they were from every tribe, and they were from every kind of Christian background that you can imagine. Pentecostal and Anglican and Catholic and Baptist and non-denominational, you name it, they were there. Over 13,000 people seeking refuge from this terrible war. And the militia came, and they were, came, came to look for, for a certain tribe. And they said, divide by tribe and send them to us. And those Christians bound together arm to arm, and they said, there is no division here. There is just but one family in Christ Jesus. And all 13,000 or so lost their lives that day. And church, that's what it means to live in a way that says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It is Christ that lives in me. This life I now live in the body, I live in the faith and the Son of God who died and set me free. That's what it means to live in a way that has no fear. Because you know that God set everything right for you. There's one truth about our lives, church, and it's changed everything for us in all times and all places, and that is that the tomb is empty. That Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and that promise is for you too. So as we close today, I'm going to invite our shepherds and their wives to take their place on the wall. And church, any time that we've been part of building up walls, of bringing separation, we repent of that today. That just like Paul, when we see that happening, we want to be the kind of people who are tearing down walls. Because in this church and in every church that bears the name of Christ, there is but one table. All people have been called equal in the name of Christ Jesus. If you've never accepted that call today, if you you haven't claimed your place with him, we would love to help you do that today. If you need prayers, if you want to be part of this, this movement, this body of Christ that has no division, no separation, is different from the world that we see around us, join this body as we try to be those kinds of people. Whatever we can help you with, come while we stand and sing.